We began singing about Jesus, the friend of sinners, and we ended with singing about Jesus, the friend of sinners. Maybe the Holy Spirit is trying to teach us something this morning about our great Savior and friend, the Lord Jesus Christ. May we understand more of that this morning. I invite you to turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15. I'm going to read this morning a pretty long portion. I'm going to read verses 16 through 47. And as we're reading through this, I just want you to make note, a mental note, of many of the things that are described here by Mark that Jesus has to go through and to endure. What I'd like to do this morning is just think about, as we're thinking about the crucifixion, as we're thinking about the death, the sufferings of Christ, the death of Christ and the crucifixion of Christ, is to understand that this was according to the sovereign purpose and plan of God. And that it was purposed and planned by God before the world was ever created. Before man ever sinned in the garden. That this and everything that happened, happens and happened that Christ had to endure was all a part of the plan of God. Sometimes we can get lost in the weeds. Sometimes we can look at these things and we can study them and try to understand them better and we can take parts uh, of looking at these different things and sometimes we are missing the bigger picture. And so I just wanted to step out this morning and just kind of consider the big picture and for us to be encouraged once again, once again that God is sovereign and God, God had a purpose and plan in all these things that happened. And for us to take a look back at a few scriptures and see how these things were prophesied about. And we can take courage that, that God had a purpose and plan in these things. And he, he even prophesied about them so that we would know that these things were happening according to his purpose and plan. And that you can be encouraged by that this morning, uh, I want to make application for you that as we look at the sufferings, the death, crucifixion of Christ, and his resurrection, and as we think about how that God had a purpose and plan in all those things, that was for a greater purpose, an ultimate purpose than even the things that that were happening, which was to redeem his people, to save a people for himself, and that would lead to his greater glory. And for us to think about that when it comes to our lives, how that the suffering that we go through, the pain that we go through, the loss that we go through, the daily and weekly trials that we go through, the valleys that we go through, that there's a greater purpose in all of those things than just those things themselves. Like God does work in those things, in those moments, in those times. He is working in you something. 
for His purpose and glory. But there is also a greater purpose in those things. And we, we, all, we, we oftentimes get lost in the weeds of our own life. We're, in the, we're living in the moment and we're thinking, why is this happening? Why am I going through this? Why did God allow this to happen? Why is this happening to our country? Why are we going through this at this time? Why is there this evil going on in the world? Why is there so much hatred and animosity toward the people of God? And so we always go back. We must always go back and we must always zoom out and remember that God has a sovereign plan and purpose in all these things. And He's working out His sovereign purpose and plan in all of these things for a greater purpose and for His greater glory. And so I just don't want to miss that as we've been going through the ministry of Christ, the the life of Christ, and as we're ending it in the Gospel of Mark, looking at the sufferings of Christ and His death, burial, and resurrection, that we remember that God was working a grand and glorious purpose and that you were and are a part of that. And you can have great joy that even though he had to endure these things and even though these things are hard to read and hard to, to, to think about and hard to have to um, uh, experience that Jesus went through, he did it for you. He did it for me. And it was all according to the plan and purpose of God for his greater glory. So we've been just looking at the arrest, the trial, the crucifixion. We're looking now at the the death of Christ, the burial of Christ, and the glorious resurrection of Christ and how he's victorious through all these things as Mark brings his gospel to a close. We've looked at the betrayal of Judas. We've looked at the trial of Jesus and his innocence in his trial and the importance of that. We looked last time at the denial of Jesus by Peter and his restoration by the Lord Jesus Christ. And you might, you know, you might be asking the question, and, and, and as we've been studying through those things, why? Why did, why did Jesus have to be betrayed by, by Judas? Why was Judas' purpose to betray the Lord Jesus Christ? Why, why did Jesus have to be put on trial? Why did he have to go through this trial? Why did he have to be proclaimed guilty when even though he was innocent? Why did he have to be treated so harshly like a criminal even though he had done nothing wrong? Why did Peter deny the Lord Jesus Christ even though he loved him? Why did Jesus have to experience that, that pain? And why did Peter have to go through that? What was the purpose of that? And ultimately, you know, as we kind of sang in the song this morning, we don't know exactly why everything happens the way that it happens. But we know whom we have believed, and we are persuaded that He is able to do that. He is able to keep that which I've committed against to him against that day. Which is saying, we believe that God is good. We believe that God is sovereign and everything that he does, he does for a purpose. And, he, and, and what he does is right. And what he does is just. And what he does is for his glory. So I can't understand oftentimes why these things happen or the way that they happen or the timing of 
the, the timing of them happening, but I understand that they all happened according to the purpose and plan of God. And one of the ways that we can clearly see this, there's many ways that we can see this in the scriptures, but one of the ways that we can clearly see this is by looking at how much the Old Testament prophesied of these exact things that happened. And so there's a lot of scriptures that we could go to, and we don't have time for all those this morning. But I want us to read the section of scripture in the Gospel of Mark, and then I want us to go to a few places in the Old Testament that speak about these things and give us clarity uh, on them as we consider that this was part of God's purpose and plan. So Mark 15, starting in verse 16. So Jesus has been examined by Pilate. He has pleaded with the people that Jesus Christ is innocent, that he will just discipline him and let him go. But they said, no, give us Barabbas instead. And so it says in verse 15, So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them, and he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. Then the soldiers led him away into the hall called the Praetorium, and they called together the whole garrison. And they clothed him with purple, and they twisted a crown of thorns, put it on his head, And began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. Then they struck him on the head with a reed and spat on him. And bowing the knee, they worshipped him. And when they had mocked him, they took the purple off of him, put his own clothes on him, and led him out to crucify him. Then they compelled a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross, And they brought him to the place, Golgotha, which is translated place of a school. When they gave him wine mingled with myrrh to drink, but he did not take it. And when they crucified him, they divided his garments, casting lots for them to determine what every man should take. Now it was the third hour, and they crucified him. And the inscription of his accusation was written above, The King of the Jews. With him they also crucified two robbers, one on his right and the other on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And he was numbered with the transgressors. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also mocking among themselves with the scribes, saying, He saved others, himself he cannot save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross, that we may see and believe. Even those who were crucified with him reviled him. Now when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood by when they heard that said, Look, he is calling for Elijah. Then someone ran and filled a sponge full of sour wine, put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink, saying, Let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice 
and breathed his last. Then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, Truly this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the Less, and of Joseph and Salome, Salome, who also followed him and ministered to him when he was in Galilee, and many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. Now when the evening had come, because it was the preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, coming and taking courage, went in to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate marveled that he was already dead. And summoning the centurion, he asked him if he had been dead for some time. So when he found out from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. Then he brought fine linen, took him down and wrapped him in the linen, and he laid him in a tomb which has been hewn out of a rock and rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. And Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph observed where he was laid. Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that as we read these words of how our Savior was mistreated, how he was beaten, Father, to a bloody pulp, how he suffered so greatly for us. Father, we are saddened as we read these words because we too feel the the pain and the suffering that he had to endure and that he endured. And also, Father, the pain and suffering that you had to endure as you saw this happening to your son and as you were pouring out your wrath upon him for our sin. But, Father, help us to be encouraged to know that none of this happened by accident, None of this happened that was outside of your control. Father, all of this happened according to your plan and purpose. Father, that you would work out a salvation for your people that would lead to your greater glory. Jesus, we want to say thank you for all that you did for us. And Father, we want to say thank you for having this plan before the world began. And help us to always remember this, Father, even in our times of suffering and pain and going through hardship, that we will remember, Father, that you are on your throne, that you are in control, and that you have a purpose and a plan for us in all these things. Ask, Father, that we might be encouraged by your word this morning. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So first of all, God promised a Messiah in the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 3, right after that Adam and Eve had disobeyed God and sin had entered into the world, 
We know that God came and He held man accountable for his sin, for his disobedience, and that He was giving them the judgment that was a part of this sin, this part of this disobedience. He had told them that this would be the case if they had disobeyed Him. But in the midst of the judgment that He is giving, the midst of telling the woman what she will suffer, and in the midst of telling the man what he will suffer and have to go through as a result of this, He gives a promise. He gives a promise. And He's saying that even though you have disobeyed Me, even though you have brought sin into the world, and even though there is going to be pain and suffering because of this, and death has come into the world, and death will be passed upon all men, even though you have done this, I have a greater plan. And I'm going to bring something out of this that is glorious. And so there is hope for you. There is joy for you, even in the midst of this, that you can hold to and that your generations after you can hold to. And so this was the first gospel that was given. We find it in Genesis 3, verse 15. As he's talking to the serpent and giving the curse to the serpent, he says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. Is that capitalized in your Bible? The second seed? It is in some. Because it knows that it's speaking about a seed and a a specific one that will come from her lineage. He will put enmity between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And so this is a a promise that from the woman, from her seed, from her lineage, from one that would descend from her would bruise the head of the serpent. It would crush. He would crush the head of the serpent. Now it also tells us that the serpent will bruise his heel. So we go back and we think about this, and when we think about the things that we just read about this morning, we see that coming to pass, right? Satan was involved. Satan was putting it on the hearts of these evil men to do these things to Christ, to mock him, to scourge him, to beat him, all the things that we, to spit on him, all the things that we read about. Satan is, is actively involved in this. He's putting it on the hearts of these evil people to do this. And, and in this way, we see this coming true, that he is bruising his heel. But then we go on to read that after all these things happen, and that Christ is laid in the tomb, that after three days, he rises from the dead. He, ra- he is raised from the grave. And he is victorious over death. He's victorious over Satan. He gives the crushing blow to the head of the serpent. Even though there would be much pain and suffering and the result of sin and sin's curse in the world, we see the results of that throughout history. Okay, There is so much that has happened 
that has been terrible, that has been awful, that has been a result of this disobedience and this sin. But we see that God had a purpose and plan that overruled this disobedience and sin being brought into the world. And he promises it here in the beginning. I will send one who will be the Messiah. I will send one who will be the deliverer and he will crush the head of the serpent. He will overcome all the the plans of the evil one. Aren't you glad of that this morning? As you have to read these things and your heart grieves because of them, we remember God promised that he would crush the head of the serpent and that this Messiah would come and he would overcome death, the hell, and the grave. And so we have it right from the beginning of our Old Testament scriptures. Number two, we see that the death and resurrection of Christ was prophesied in the Psalms. Many places in the Psalms speaks of these things that we read about in the Gospel accounts. And one of the main Psalms that speak of this is Psalm 22. Many of you are familiar with this, but many of the things that we read this morning came from this psalm. The Holy Spirit speaking through David is, in a way, foreshadowing these things, prophesying of these things that God had purposed and planned long ago. Right off the bat, right? Verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus Christ says that as he is suffering on the cross. Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? So we see it right there in the beginning that this agony that Jesus Christ was going to suffer was was prophesied. We see that it was going to take place. We saw that in Mark 15, 34. Then later on in the psalm, he goes on to say in verse 6, But I am a worm and no man, a, a reproach of men, and despised by the people. Didn't you see that in our text today? Jesus Christ is a reproach to those that saw him on the cross. They despised him. They were mocking at him, making fun of him, ridiculing him. A reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Isn't that what they say? He saved others. He healed others. He rescued others. Why can't he do it for himself? Let him deliver him since he delights in him. And then later on in the psalm, we see a great description uh, that lets us see into the heart of what it was like for the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 14 says, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me, the congregation of the wicked have enclosed me. Can't you see that? In the sufferings and the crucifixion of Christ. It's just like dogs have surrounded him. 
evil and wicked men have surrounded him. And his heart is like wax. And he's being poured out like water. And he's suffering in agony on the cross, having to struggle just to be able to breathe. And his throat is dry, and his tongue is dry, and his lips are dry. And then he even gives us this very vivid description of these things that happened to Christ, right? They pierced my hands and my feet. They did that to Christ. When they nailed him to the cross, they nailed his hands to the cross beam, and they nailed his feet together. I can count all my bones. They didn't break one of his bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Didn't we read that? While he was being crucified, while he was dying on the cross, they were playing games for his garments. They were casting lots to see who would get what. And all this was prophesied about Christ long before this had happened. So we can see these things clearly happening in our text today. It tells us this was part of God's purpose and plan. Now, were these men still accountable for what they did to Christ? Absolutely. And, and, and Peter will go on to make that clear as we'll look at the, at, at the end today. He holds them accountable for what they did to Christ. And God holds them accountable for what they did. But we see that there was a greater purpose and plan and that God knew that these things were going to happen and he even allowed for some of these things to be prophesied about so that we could remember that and know, yes, these things are difficult and we don't understand why he had to go through these things, but it was a part of God's purpose and plan. The other psalm that speaks much of this is Psalm 69. Let's turn over there, Psalm 69. Psalm 69, verse 3 says, I am weary with my crying, my throat is dry, my eyes fell while I wait for God. Those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. Wasn't that true of Christ? He had so many enemies and we see that they hated him without a cause. Pilate says, I find no fault in him. Herod, I find no fault in him. But the chief priests, the scribes, the elders... And those that didn't believe in him, they hated him without a cause. They are mighty who would destroy me. Being my enemies wrongfully, though I have stolen nothing, I still must restore it. Verse 7. Because for your sake I have borne reproach, shame has covered my face. We talk about this already and we see that again in our text today that All these things that Christ went through, they were not for things that he had done. He was not suffering these things because he was guilty. He was doing it for you and for me. And he was doing it for his father. Because for your sake I have borne reproach, shame has covered my face. Then later on in the chapter, 
in verse 19, it says, You know my reproach, my shame, and my dishonor. My adversaries are all before you. Reproach has broken my heart, and I am full of heaviness. I looked for someone to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. Think about Christ on the cross having to suffer all these things. And he's, he's saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have I been forsaken by my disciples? And he looked around for, for comfort. He looked around for, for someone to take pity. But there was none. All they gave me, they also gave me gall for my food. And for thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. We see that happening in our text today, right? He was thirsty. He was hungry. All they gave him was vinegar. Sour wine. And so we see that these things were prophesied concerning what Christ would suffer. And so we say, why? Why did he have to suffer these things? Because it was a part of the plan and purpose of God. Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11, is another place that is a prophecy concerning Christ. And we're not going to go there right now because we are going to look in Acts chapter 2, where Peter quotes from that. So we'll wait and go to Psalm, we'll wait and quote Psalm 16, 8 through 11 later. So we see that in the Psalms, we only went to a few places, they're in many other places. Things that Christ suffered, things that Christ went through, were clearly prophesied in these things. Another place we can look at is in the book of Isaiah. There's many prophecies in the book of Isaiah concerning the sufferings that Christ would endure for us. And we see them being fulfilled in our text today. But just for time's sake, we can only go to a few of them. Isaiah chapter 50. Think about this when you think about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he went through for you. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6. I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheek to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. What a Savior that we have. That He was willing to stand there and give His back to those that scourged Him. That He was willing to endure that. That He didn't run away. That He didn't cower. Gave His back to those who struck him. And he just let him pull out the hairs in his beard. Oh, the pain that, that there is in that. If you've ever plucked out a hair anywhere on your body, it, there's pain involved in that. But, but when someone's just pulling out hair out of a beard, there's great pain that you're enduring. And there's nothing more insulting than someone spitting in your face. Or slapping you in the face. And they did all those things to him. And these things were prophesied that they would happen. 
And he had a purpose in these things. Isaiah chapter 52. says in verse 14, Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage, so his appearance was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. Jesus Christ was beat so severely by that, that crown of thorns that had been placed upon his head and them beating that in them slapping him and and hitting him while he was being mocked and many other things that it just tells us that he wasn't even recognizable by the time it was done. You could not even recognize it was Jesus. You couldn't even recognize it was a person, body just torn up and mangled and and mistreated. But it it was prophesied that this would happen. And then we read... One of the greatest passages in all of the scriptures and and, and one of the greatest passages in all of the Old Testament that give us clear and unmistakable evidences and pictures and prophecies of what the Messiah, the suffering servant, would endure. We see that he's despised, he's rejected. He's a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. We hid our faces from him. He was despised and we did esteem him not. He bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. By his stripes we are healed. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Didn't we see that in his trial? What do, you, what do you have to say for yourself? What do you have to say about these accusations? He opened not his mouth. He was silent. He was cut off from the land of the living. Just as Daniel had predicted in a 70 weeks vision that the Messiah would be cut off but he would also rise again. He was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. So it it, it gives us the answer of why was he bruised? Why was he crushed? Why was he beaten? Why was he mocked? Why was he despised and rejected? For our transgressions. For your sins, right? For your disobedience. For your rebellion. For your lack of trust. For your rejection of God. Had he not suffered all of these things, had he not gone through all of these, thi- all of these things, you would not be forgiven of your sins. Because he was suffering in our place. And we understand that. But we're just being comforted the fact that Old Testament scriptures were prophesying this telling us this was a part of God's purpose and plan and that he had something greater that he was going to work out of it. He was stricken for our transgressions. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. So we even see that in our text today. How that Joseph of Arimathea, right, a rich man, came and, and, and pleaded with Pilate for the body of Christ. And he, bought, he had bought a, 
uh, 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 he had a place where he went and he laid Jesus in the tomb. So even that was prophesying of the kind of burial that he would have. Made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. We have seen that. And here again, here's the, here's the sovereignty of God. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. That means to crush him. It pleased the Lord to crush him. Why? How could that be? Because of the salvation that he was working out. And because of the glory that he would receive through this. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. There it is. It tells us why did Jesus have to be betrayed? Why did Jesus have to be denied? Why did Jesus have to be treated this way? Because God's wrath needed to be satisfied against all of the sins of his people. He was working out our salvation. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many. Why did Jesus go through betrayal? Why did he go through these things? So that you could be justified in God's eyes. So that you could be declared perfect and righteous and though you had never sinned. And even though you deserve to go through all these things that we read that Jesus went through, he went through them for you. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Unless your heart is hardened by sin, and you don't have the Holy Spirit, how can you not see? that that's talking about the Messiah, that that's talking about Christ, and that those, all those things were fulfilled in the gospel accounts that we read. Even his resurrection. He was satisfied with his sacrifice, and therefore he would be raised from the dead, and he would have a great inheritance, and we would be a part of that inheritance. And there are many other prophecies that we know about in the Old Testament that give us detailed descriptions of the things that Christ would suffer and go through in Jeremiah, in Daniel, in Micah, in Amos, in Zechariah. It was clearly foretold all these things would happen. So as you read them and, and as they hurt to read and as we maybe ask the question why, we must come back to the greater picture and zoom out and say, God's glory, God's sovereignty, your salvation, His joy. And we see that's what Peter does as we bring this to a close in Acts chapter 2. Peter now understands the big picture. And as the Spirit fills them on the day of Pentecost and people are mocking them like they mock Jesus Christ because they're full of the Spirit, they think they're drunk. Jesus, um, Peter gets up and he says, no, they're not drunk. This was prophesied in the Old Testament. 
many, many years ago, that God's Spirit would be poured out upon us and we would be given even the gift to be able to speak other languages. And there would just be a great calling upon the Lord, a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on to preach about the Lord Jesus Christ. And he gives them the big picture. And here we see a great balance, brothers and sisters, of the responsibility of man and the sovereignty of God. Starting in verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. Well, that's kind of different, isn't it? Wait a minute. You mean that, that this was a part of, of God's purpose and plan? This was a part of His, his predestination? Yes, absolutely. And this is what overruled the plan of Satan. This is what overruled the hearts of evil men. This is what overruled your actions. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. You're responsible for what you did to Christ. Absolutely. But God is sovereign and was sovereign over it. And He has worked out something beautiful and glorious despite your evil deeds. Whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, so here Peter understands the big picture, God's sovereignty, God's purpose and plan, his counsel. He says this was prophesied. We can know this. This was part of God's plan because David prophesied about this. David says concerning him, quoting from Psalm 16, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in hell. You will not leave my soul in the grave, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. He says, we know that this happened according to the plan and purpose of God. Because David prophesied about this, speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ, and we have seen it fulfilled Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of, of the Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, 
and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this, this which you now see and hear. This was all according to the purpose and plan of God. The Messiah would come through David's lineage. This was Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He was delivered into the hands of evil men just as, as it had been prophesied. All these things were done to him just as it had been prophesied. And he has raised, been raised from the dead just as it had been prophesied because God's purpose will stand. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he said himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. This was a reality. Now, what David said was a reality, and Peter believed it. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. So Peter understood, he understood the greater plan and purpose of God. And as we read these things, as we study these things, may you not get lost in the weeds, but may you be able to zoom out and see the greater purpose and plan of God, the sovereignty of God, the counsel of God. And as you see this in the sufferings, the death, the crucifixion, and the resurrection and ascension of Christ. Don't forget that this applies to you and your life, just as it did to Him. God has purposed and planned your life before the world was ever created. And He has predetermined, He has predestinated you and your life for your joy and His glory. And nothing can thwart that plan. Nothing can overturn his counsel. So Satan, he can throw everything he wants at you and he can throw everything at want, he wants at me. And sometimes they have effect. They bring pain. They bring sorrow. They bring loss. They bring doubt. But God's counsel always stands and his greater purpose will be worked out in you. And so take joy that today God purposed and God planned and God prophesied that Jesus Christ would go all these things, go through all these things for your salvation, for your redemption, so that you could be adopted into his family. And so that in the midst of your pain and suffering, in the midst of your trials, you can have joy. Because you know that God is working something far greater in you than just these things that you're going through. And so we end with a passage like Romans 8 because it reminds us of this truth. In your life right now, that whatever you're going through, whatever you have gone through, and whatever you're going to go through, God has purposed all of it. And He is working out His plan. And so we read in Romans 8, 28, And we know that all things 
work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose, for whom He foreknew He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He predestined, these He also called. Whom He called, these He also justified. And whom He justified, these He also glorified. Remember that, brothers and sisters. It's as though it has already been accomplished. You will be glorified. God's purpose shall stand. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? May God bless you and keep you is my prayer.